And our Father, we thank you for the reality that you are a good, good Father. And Father, this morning as we've come together here, Father, we ask, first of all, that you'd, you'd bless us with your presence. We don't have to ask. You promise that you're with us. But Father, we pray that this morning as we worship you in spirit and truth, that our worship would be pleasing unto you. Father, we, we know that through your Son you've made a sacrifice we don't understand. And yet, you are the one. You're higher, you're stronger than any grave or any throne. And so this morning, Father, as we're here as your people, we ask you to speak to our hearts. And then, Lord, I pray you protect us this day. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, I hope you got word. The decision was only made at about 6.30 this morning that we're only going to have one service today. But we wanted to have one. Those of us that could get together uh, to be here. So, guess what? First of all, this is a weird day. See that door back there? That door is open. Now, one of the guys came up to me and he used a term. He said, John, tell them it's the last call. Now, some of us in this room know what that last call means. (laughs) You've been around that. (laughs) Okay, we're not going there. But I want you to know back there, would you please, if you want, they've got plenty of coffee and cinnamon rolls and pumpkin bread, there's stuff back there that you will enjoy, and you will not offend. In fact, if nobody gets up and goes back there, I'll probably be offended. <laughs> so uh, please, make your way. We're going to spend some time this morning in God's Word, uh, but I do. I told uh, the team back there that, uh, thank you, thank you, <laughs> to uh, enjoy the last cup of coffee and some of those cinnamon rolls, those special treats. Hey, it's been a good Thanksgiving. I hope, you know, I, our Thanksgiving was early. Uh, last weekend, we did our big collegiate thing. It was so good to be here for one church and be with Garen and the international students. And then we went home, and we had Thanksgiving on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And our son and family, grandkids, all there. And uh, I don't know about your table, but ours was blessed, over-blessed, and I've been enjoying leftovers. We came down yesterday been watching this weather. You know, I grew up here, so I know already I-70s closed from Joaquini to the west. There's always, already been a pretty serious accident up on I-70. This is, an, this is one of those good old Kansas nasty storms that we're meeting, and uh, y'all, I do know it's already snowing. It started since worship began. So just to be together as his family in Emporia, I appreciate you choosing to come and worship together today. And as I told you two weeks ago, I'm not in Ephesians today. I'm done with the New Testament, and we're going to the Old Testament this morning. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. It's one of the prophets. And so a little bit about the prophets before I read over us uh, God's Word. The prophets are a bit complicated. There's five different periods that we get in the Old Testament, prophets writing to us. Now, a prophet, he's a called out one. Uh, You know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit before the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the apostle was a little different in the Old Testament. God would be with people. He'd speak to them. He'd speak to a prophet. But then, like with Saul, he'd withdraw himself. Uh, He wanted a group of people that would listen and obey him. He's getting ready. He's on that path to bring us a Savior that we needed from the beginning of time, from the 
from the fall in the Garden of Eden. And that plan is a big plan. And so in the Old Testament, he gives us this group of guys called the prophets. So the five periods that they write in, there's going to be the ones in pre before David, uh, the ones that, are, that we don't have books named after them. But Nathan is one of them, prophet that spoke to David, would tell him what God wanted David to know. There was Samuel, who was before even Saul, the first king of Israel. And so the pre-monarchy prophets, we get to read them. Then there's the prophets that spoke to the monarchs. And those guys would talk to kings. And so there was when David and Solomon were the one kingdom, and then it split, and we had two. And there's going to be guys that speak to both sides. They're going to speak to the north and to the south. And those are the ones that are writing during the monarchy. Then life begins to get a little tough because the Sumerians are going to be overrun by the Assyrians and there's prophets that are talking to the northern part, what's the northern Galilee, that part, uh, before the southern, which is Judea. They're telling them that bad is coming and you better get it right. God is going to judge us and it happened. But it didn't get all the way to Jerusalem. And then we get the second set, and that's where Habakkuk is. It's now the leaders are kind of, they're getting a little confident that God's their protector, and they're not going to listen to anybody saying, look out, God is going, God is judging us. We are not living the way that he wants us to live, to demonstrate to a lost world what it is to have a relationship with our creator God. And so you begin to get the prophets that are predicting the fall of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's the headquarters. Jerusalem's the holy spot. And they're all saying, this isn't going to happen. Nope, God's going to step in and this isn't going to happen. And so this is the fourth group, and that's where Habakkuk is one of those. And then the last group of the prophets are the ones that after Jerusalem does fall, and they're taken off it's called the exile period. They're away from home. And then we begin to get the prophets to speak to those folks. And so those five different kinds or periods of time, God uses men and he used women to proclaim what he wants us to hear. And so this morning we're going to be in one chapter of Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk 3, but we're going to look at the first two chapters. I'm going to read... For you, Habakkuk 3, starting verse 2, down 16 through 19 to its end. So I want to ask you to stand. I see they've closed the door. So it must be over. But I want to read God's word over us from Habakkuk 3, verse 2, and then 16 through 19. So here's what God wanted the people of Judea to hear about him. As Habakkuk writes, he writes in 3, 2. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, and do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it, and in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble with, beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people 
who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Oh, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, as we remember who you are, I pray that, Lord, your Spirit would have freedom to speak to us about our relationship with you, who is the God of your word. You mean what you say, and you're faithful. And Father, when we have questions, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the freedom to look our question in the face, and then, Lord, to be assured of your steady presence over us. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated. Habakkuk is a bit unusual of all the prophets. I like the way Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message, by the way, he's just, he's with the Lord. He just passed away in the last couple of weeks. But Eugene Peterson says that of all the prophets, he likes Habakkuk because he's a lot like us. He's the guy that you want walking on the road with you. Now, the other prophets, they're good men. I mean, we hear God's message. I mean, the prophets sometimes can be a little edgy. They really don't care what you think. They're going to come and they're going to proclaim what they hear God has said to them. And some, not some, but many times that message will cut right to where we need to hear it. But Habakkuk kind of connects with the common everyday man. First of all, Habakkuk looks life in the eye. He lives with his eyes wide open. And he sees what's going on around him. And he walks alongside of the people that he's talking to. And so the first thing that I want to remind us that I believe is in this passage is that we, we need to be people that live with our eyes wide open. As you see, as Habakkuk cries, there's only three chapters in this book. The first chapter is where he cries out to God and he says, God, I, I, I see what's going on around me. That's in chapter 1. And then God answers back and he says, no, I intend to do what I've said I'm going to do. I'm going to use bad people. And that's one of Habakkuk's questions. God, how can you use an evil, bad government to oppress us, your people? It's a great question. And God says, no, I'm going to do it. He doesn't back away at all. But yet Habakkuk comes back to him and he reminds him of his promise of mercy. And yet he lives with his eyes wide open. That first question, God, why would you use evil a bad system, a bad government, we're more righteous than they are. We have the temple. We, we're, there's people here that go to that temple. There's people that believe in you. And yet God says, no, I have a plan that's bigger than you've got. And Habakkuk in chapter 2 responds back to him and says, okay, but 
I, I don't understand. So that second question that, that he asks, let me back up to it where I was, is why, does, why is God silent? God, I've been praying to you. We've been asking you. And yet we don't hear anything. You're quiet to us. And I don't know about you, but, you know, life is complex. I just talked about Thanksgiving. We had a great time. But there's another part of our life that's not so great. I tell you, holidays are not fun because our table's not clear full. We've got a daughter, son-in-law, and four grandkids that we only get to talk, is use a little FaceTime or a little Skype time and try to talk to them as they're a long, long ways from here. And I want you to know while those phone calls are kind of fun, there's also an empty piece in there because it's not the same. And yet, we trust that God knows exactly what He's doing, that our experience, while it's not perfect, while it isn't all we want it to be, there still is a God who has a plan that's bigger than we are. And so as Habakkuk looks the father in the face and he says, first of all, God, why are you silent? I need to hear from you. We've got to remember that the way God works is his plan is long. And while we think that he's not speaking, he's already spoken. And he's waiting until the right time to speak again. And that's where we get to see Habakkuk's heart at the end. Because he starts by asking really, really good questions. God, why are you silent? And secondly, God, why all these bad things keep crashing into our lives? And why are you going to use sinful people to, to affect us to get your message out? We don't get it. But yet the middle part of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, there are five woes or five curses that he's saying no. I know these people that I'm going to use. And yes, I'm going to use the sinful people. I'm, these Chaldeans, these Babylonians are going to come down. And they are. They are going to destroy Jerusalem. And I've told you that. And I mean exactly what I say. And so living with our eyes wide open. And so church family, I want to remind us and I want to assure you that by looking at the life of Habakkuk, a man who didn't know the story of Jesus yet, he didn't know all that we've talked about, all that we've been for these weeks that I've been with you. He did not know the book of Ephesians. He did not know the way God's going to reveal himself through his son. All he had was his faith that I've heard from you and I believe you mean what you say and you're worth putting my faith in. And so church family, I want you to know that I want to be realistic that in a room this size, there are some of you that have come here in the middle of the snowstorm today, but it doesn't make sense. There's pieces of your lives right now that you don't have an answer for. And I want to assure you that that's okay. It's okay not to have it all together. We've got models of people who have gone before us and have verbalized their question, and maybe even some frustration and anger back to God, and I tell you what, He can handle it. But instead of living in that critical questioning spirit as Habakkuk starts with, where he's asking the question, the second part of where we need to go, not only do we live with our eyes wide open, 
But secondly, we identify our fears in our question. And look where Habakkuk goes down in verse 16 and 17. Verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, or the olives fail, or the field yields no food, or the flocks are going to be cut off from the fold, or there's no herd, there's no herd in the stall. You know, that hasn't happened yet. And where Habakkuk goes is, these are, these are Kansas people. I mean, these guys live in the, the world that some of us know real well, a very agricultural world. And he looks around and he sees all the ways that God has blessed, every one of those. You know, the olives producing the oil that they've got to have every day. You've got to have blossoms on the trees before you can get fruit. You've got to have, you know, the food, the food that comes out of the fields, the flocks that we've got on the hills. And the herd that's in the stall. All those are blessings from God. God provides for us. And Habakkuk knows that and he looks right at God and he says, Okay, if it's your plan, I'm going to trust you a sovereign, intentional, loving, all-knowing Heavenly Father. I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing. My heart's not going to fail. So first of all, we live with our eyes wide open. But secondly, we're okay with our question. We have, I've mentioned it before, and I've recommended to watch a video called The Insanity of God. Uh, We were part of what happened with the real tragedy in Nairobi, Kenya in about 1970, no, 19... 90, 95 or 97, a good friend lost his son to asthma. We'd been with the boy the last time he had it. We were down at Mombasa uh, for a fall break, and that's in Kenya. You either go to the mountains or you go look at the animals or you go to the coast. It's kind of a nice place to live. All three are really close. And so we were down there, and it was the first rain of the fall, and it stirred up the mold, and old Ben, couldn't, he couldn't breathe. And about 2 in the morning... Ben threw a battery back when little those little recorder things, iPhone, whatever. The, there was an i called back then, an iPod or whatever. And he had a battery beside him, and he threw it over and woke our son up, and he, he couldn't breathe. And uh, Nate came, he let us know, Dad, you got to help me. And so we got Ben, and I carried Ben into the the reception area of the hotel where we were at. And because living on the coast, there was a doctor from India who was part of it, of the hotel system. And at about 3 o'clock in the morning, they got that doctor, and that doctor knew asthma, and that doctor kept Ben alive for a couple hours. He had two, he had one in his muscle, and he had one in his vein, and he just adjusted that medicine back and forth and back and forth, listening to his heart, keeping his blood pressure and watching him, and Ben came through that. Well, the next time was, get this, Easter Sunday morning. And as it rained again in Nairobi, the spring rain, that mold got stirred up again. And Ben couldn't breathe. This time he's at home with his mom and dad. They get Ben into the car. Ken can't drive. I mean, he's driving to the hospital. Ben's in the back, can't breathe. 
he goes into the big shopping center we had in Nairobi. And we're talking, it's like one in the morning, it's middle of the night, and the video guy is still there, and Ken knows the video guy. And he pulls in, he says, hey, will you drive us to the hospital? I'm going to do CPR on my son, and the video guy did it. So in the middle of the night, here's the video guy driving to the hospital. Ken's in the back seat trying to do CPR. He's med tech. He knows what to do, trying to keep Ben alive. They get Ben to the hospital, and within an hour or so, Ben's gone. Ben's a sophomore in high school, and asthma took him. Now, I want you to know, to walk through life, sometimes there's some really big questions. If anybody deserved to have a son healed, if anybody deserved to have it all go right, it'd be this family. This family started in Malawi, and Ken, I don't know why, some people are like this, malaria, every time a mosquito got him, oh, Ken got malaria. And his malaria was so bad, they told him, if you don't get out of Malawi, you're going to die. The next, this is bad for you. So he goes to South Africa, where there's no, mosquitoes aren't down there for malaria. They'd done that. They'd opened new work. They came up, and they were working with the Somali people. It was significant work that was going on. And God was opening a door for us to get in with the Somalis. And so you'd think if there's anybody who deserves to have God hear and answer the prayer, it'd be this family. And yet, Ben went on to be with the Lord. On Easter Sunday morning, a sophomore in high school. And you know, we don't have answers. But I will tell you what happened. Because of that tragedy in a family, and because Ken and Beth didn't quit, they continued to look to a father that they can ask questions of and they can hurt and grieve and go through all of that loss that goes with losing a high school child. God then opened a door for Ken to begin to study persecution. Now, losing a child's tough. But you get into the people that lose children, lose spouses, lose their own lives because of their faith. It's a different, that's a different level of grief. And I believe that God used that family to get a story we've got to hear. Because folks, this thing's not over. And we know that there's been prophets that say that the church will be persecuted. And it started in other places. And I don't know when, but I do believe God's word means what he says. That those of us that follow the Lord, it's not going to be easy. And yet, Ken and Beth have a prayer much like this third part of what Habakkuk has to say to us. That we're going to trust his faithfulness. We're going to trust his sovereignty. And we're going to trust his presence with us even when we can't answer the question. Because here's what Habakkuk says. He says, oh yet, I will. I'll rejoice in you, Lord. I'm going to take joy in you, the God of my salvation. I have tasted what you bring to life, and it is worth walking with you in to have all that you've got for us. God, you're the Lord. And God, you're the one who's my strength. Even when I don't understand, even when I need you, I'm going to look to you instead of anywhere else because you are my strength you make me like a deer who can get on those mountains and go places that you don't think you can go.
You make me secure. You make my feet tread in these high, high places. And so, church family, Habakkuk is a great reminder of what we have to be thankful for. We can be thankful for a God who is with us when we don't have answers to our questions. We can be thankful that we have a God who's with us, who has a story and a plan that's bigger than we are for His glory. Because what we sang is true. The grave's not strong enough to hold Him. He has power that's greater than anything else on earth, and He chooses to use that power for His glory and His timing and His purposes. And so this morning as we think about the difference between Habakkuk, which did not have the benefit of knowing what we're going to start next week. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent. And we're going to be looking at hope. That we have a hope in what God's up to. And Peter gives us that. We're going to go to 1 Peter and look at that. But Habakkuk didn't have that. And yet with Habakkuk's trust in who God was, what he'd heard from him, and his plan that had been unfolded that far, he says, no, Lord, I trust you. But I want us to go to Paul's application about this. It's in Philippians. Philippians 4, starting, chapter 4, starting at the very end of verse 5. Here's what Paul writes. He says, the Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that peace will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. As Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, he does something that's nowhere else in the New Testament. I think maybe even in the Old Testament, it's the only time in Scripture we get a command repeated twice. And you know what that command is? It's before chapter 5, I think it's verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, and by the way, I want to tell you again, two times, two commands from God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I tell you, rejoice. And so what Habakkuk and Paul want to remind us of is that there is a God who can handle our question. There is a God who wants us to live with our eyes wide open and not be tempted to reject what's going on around us, to pull into our own little cocoon and get into that pity party that I know all too well. But to live with our faces forward and to live confident in the God who knows and the God who has a plan and the God who is our Savior. He is our salvation. And it's all built in that cross that's empty today. That he has gone through the cross, gone through the grave, and come back in resurrection power to be with us. In closing, I want to read a Thanksgiving prayer I got from Chuck Lawless. In fact, I'm Instead of reading it, I want to ask you to stand. And this is going to be my prayer over us today. It was the Thanksgiving Day prayer that Chuck wrote out on his little blog spot, but it's so good I wanted to share it with you. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you came to us when we couldn't help ourselves. Father, we thank you that 
You've sent those to us to show us the way to you. Father, we thank you for chasing us down, for saving us fully and filling us with your Spirit. And Father, we thank you that you have been faithful even when we're not faithful to you. Your grace is amazing. Your mercy is overwhelming. Your provisions to us are many. And so thank you, Lord. You really are a good, good Father. Amen. And so, church, as we close our time together this morning, I've got benediction out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. And here's what Paul would say to us. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And so, go be the church. Have a good day.